Good morning again. Um, very happy to be here. I never know whether I'm uh, leaning this way or this because it's kind of interesting. You've got a choice here of four different stands. You just kind of choose one and go, I suppose. Um, today I'm very happy to be here and us continue our uh, walk through the book of Colossians. Uh, we've already had three stages of this. This is uh, number four. And we still haven't gotten to chapter 4 of Colossians. But I enjoy reading it because the book of Colossians challenges me in so many ways. Again, we remind ourselves of Paul's situation when he wrote the book. was that he was in prison and he had heard rumors and had been educated to a certain degree by those within the prison that had come and spoken to him about the situation in one particular church. And that's the one at Colossae. Now, he, in truth, uh, heard about several other churches and wrote letters to them as well. But this is an interesting letter in that this is not a church that he knew a whole lot about personally. He had not been in their midst and spent a lot of time. So we're going to let that challenge us as we go today. But something that struck me, because today's topic is relationship, um, and as I read through this portion of the Scripture, the first few uh, Scripture verses there, starting at about verse 15, uh, move through in, in the area where it's talking really about our relationship with God. Now the truth is, if you back up and you look at chapter 1 and 2 and 3, he's giving instructions in so many ways, telling people what not to do, what, what we need to stop in our attitude, change our behavior, do this would be good for us, and he gives some instructions of what we should do in a positive way as well. So also, he's, he's, he's already combining who God is, and he's talked about prayer throughout chapter 1 and into chapter 2. And so there are a lot of very good things we already have uh, discussed when we look at what Paul wrote to that particular church. But in chapter 3, he gets into the specific issue of relationships, and I would start off with the relationships of God as, as saying that it started all the way back to the beginning of the book or the letter that he was writing. And yet in here it just seems to, to kind of come together a little bit more in detail talking about what his understanding was that people should have in a relationship with God. Then he moves from there to a second section where he's talked specifically about relationships within the family where he talks about wives and husbands fathers, children. And then he moves into a little bit broader area where he's talking about relationships outside of the church, just in general, how we're to, to treat other people. So the Scripture is very interesting on its relationship area, but there's something that it doesn't exactly apply to your world. It applies to my, my history. There was a... When I first moved to, to Hong Kong, I had a, a guy that was teaching me a Cantonese, and he uh, continued to use these special terms and, and uh, they'd use four characters or eight characters or something like that. And it always these four characters equaled a story that would take like ten minutes to tell. You know, but they'd, everyone in the whole society used them. So they'd say these four characters and people would say, oh, I got it. Oh, I got it. And I would sit there saying, oh, I have no idea what you're saying. Oh, I have no clue what that means. But, but gradually, gradually, I began to pick up the meanings of a few of them. 
And then I began to get confused. Because the more I learned, the more I realized how confusing it was. And in a couple of the sayings that used to confuse me, one was, uh, and it means, sort of, loosely translated, um, lack of ability in a woman can become a virtue. Okay? Sort of. At the same time, they use another thing that says, men and women are equal. So on one hand, lack of ability in a woman can become a virtue. On the other, men and women are equal. And so I'm struggling with this thing, trying to understand, and I want to say, make up your mind. You know, in society, a lot of times, that's what seems to come to us. You want to say, make up your mind. Things are not as clear and as clean as we would like. But in Paul's writing here, he's talking about relationships, and he dares to go into some of those. But everyone in Christ is equal. Everyone in Christ, and he says that throughout this scripture. At the very same time, we have different roles. And different roles does not mean unequal. It means we just have different things we need to do. Different responsibilities. Life is more than a series of rules and regulations. And Paul apparently understood that very clearly. Because even in prison writing a letter to a church that he had never visited, he felt the importance of talking about relationships. You know, the part where he's talking about you should do this, do not lust, do not steal, do not lie, do not... You know, kind of challenging him saying, I know I've heard you guys have got some problems here. You're doing some of these things you shouldn't do, acting in ways that are not good. Your love is not there. Your care is not there. Trying to give him instruction. Good for him. But somewhere in there, apparently, he also heard that they had relationship problems. Now, as I've said before, I would love to be able to call Paul on the phone and say, Paul, please write to BCBC. We need a letter. I have no idea what the content of that letter would be. And I do think it's an interesting challenge for us to continue to think about what that letter would be like if it came to us trying to give us some instruction and some direction. I have a story that I want to share today that gives a little bit of um, application to the fact that when we come together to worship Christ on a Sunday, the worshiping experience, we have worshipped through music, we have worshipped through prayer, we have worshipped in listening to the, the Scriptures, all of this is a focus on God. As we took the Lord's Supper today, it was a reminder, not of, well, here's another one of those activities we have to do, but it's a reminder of who God is in our lives. The story is this, and it's a true story. A number of years ago, my wife and I um, became stranded in a strange land. The strange land was called America. Um, for me, it was a strange land because when I moved to Asia to work, I just assumed I would always be in Asia. But I got stranded back on this side of the ocean for about four and a half years. And during that four and a half years, we were living in the middle part of America. 
And um, sometimes I understood what was going on around me, and sometimes I didn't. Sometimes it was like what the little saying was about the women being uh, virtuous if they don't know everything, and then the other one is saying that they're all equal. Just a little confusion in my life. It was not unusual. But the true story is um, that life does not always present the stories that we find in the cartoons or in the the little magazines where everything bundles up nicely and everyone walks off happy. This is a true story. And I another part of the true story was that when I was typing up my sermon for today, my spell check on my computer popped up. And I wrote the word to pastor, or pastoring. Actually, I used the word pastoring. While pastoring a church in such and such city, I said some things. Well, my spell check switched the spelling to pasturing, like P-A-S-T-U-R-I-N-G, so as to, to send horses and cattle out into the field to find their food. And I can remember that when we were in that part of America, I actually felt like I was in a pasture sometime. It, was, it just seemed so far away from the burden where I was to be in Asia. Anyway, in the story, while I was working there, we had a very challenging situation come one day, and it was related to a married woman and her eight-year-old daughter. The lady had grown up Catholic in background. She was ethnically Chinese. She had married an American, a white American, let me rephrase that. Uh, without much, uh, and he didn't have much of a faith background. He, like she, both had come from a marginal or religious experience with their Catholic backgrounds. And so they knew religion, wouldn't say they necessarily knew Christ. Of course, that can happen in any church, not just a Catholic church. It can happen in a Baptist church. But in that, that was their background, so they knew a little bit. But somewhere along the way, she began to attend church and bring her, brought her daughter. Uh, so she was bringing her daughter on a regular basis, and we got to know each other. And about a year after they had been coming to church, um, I got a phone call from the police. And the police department uh, asked me to come immediately. And I got about two blocks away from their home, and there was a, a line that was cordoned off where we couldn't drive in any closer. And at that point, I had no idea what I was looking into or what I was dealing with. And, um, uh, you know, I'm not here today to talk by any means on the subject of gun control. That's not my topic. But pistols are something that make me very uncomfortable if they're, if they're not used correctly and in certain circumstances. And this was certainly one of those. For what I found was the police let me know immediately that I was needed. They wanted me to assist in trying to deal with this man who was in his basement with his eight-year-old daughter shooting a pistol. He had been drinking. He would not let her leave. The wife tried to get the daughter out with the answer that uh, that would not be allowed from him. And this had been going on for a while. Well, eventually, we were able to work out 
the situation and get everything handled. It's a long story. But um, the result was, gradually the wife and the daughter were baptized, began to grow in the church. The husband went to prison for a period of time. The wife then filed for divorce. And the relationships were maimed forever. For an eight-year-old, she had felt threatened by her own father. I had to ask myself, where was God in this situation? Where was the husband? What was he thinking? Where was the wife? What happened to the child? What was going on in the mind of that child? How did it impact the mentality and the goals and the understanding of who a father is and who a mother is? We talk about a loving mother, a loving father. Where was the church? Where was the public? Public people in society. Where were the police? What what was their thinking? How were they impacted by this experience? If the church becomes disengaged from life, the church becomes irrelevant. Going into that situation... I was a representative of a church, yes. But the complications that went tied to what I had done and how I had acted and how I continued to support and work with this woman through her grief and through her problems and through her watching the courts deal with her husband, um, those, those complications became very mixed. We had people within our church who had opinions about what the church should be doing or shouldn't be doing. Is this really the church's responsibility? How involved should I get? Should I just cut the cord and let the woman go and don't talk to her anymore? We hung in there. She became baptized. She eventually actually became a part-time secretary at the church. But that was after we went through all kinds of issues with different leaders who really felt that this was dangerous for the church to be involved in. Following Christ is not a safe path. I'll repeat it. Following Christ is not a safe path. It's challenging. By man's definition, very unsafe. By man's expectation, very unsafe, not comfortable, not easy. But again, Christ, as we said before the Lord's Supper this morning, is our model. To be a disciple is to follow Christ. And safety and comfort were never Christ's preferences. As we look at Colossians chapter 3, Verse 15, 
we see the God relationship. The third chapter of Paul, uh, it's writing, especially in verse 14, is just full of instructions of warnings about how we should live and what we should do. And and it clearly stopped if if the church expected, uh, well, basically what should be clearly stopped if the church expected us to be blessed of God was what he was emphasizing. Paul was apparently heard by some of the needs, uh, heard about these things as the needs in Colossae. So as a result, with that in mind, he began verse 15 and began to give more direction. And he says, basically, faith without works is dead. Work without faith is dead. Is this your theological understanding? Faith and works must be married. We want people to see our good works, but if it's not done because our heart is a changed heart, the works that we're doing have no value. At the same time, saying we've got great faith, oh, we believe in God, but our actions don't match reveals a problem. Now, our actions matching what we say we believe sometimes means we're walking into the midst of struggle, walking into the midst of challenge. But in the end, using a reference I've used before and that was I was reminded of just last week, we have to pull out that spiritual mirror and be able to look at ourselves and say, you're still following Christ. Brothers and sisters, when you look at that spiritual mirror, are you still following Christ? We need it to always say that to us. And if it does, you can put it back and keep going. In the Scripture it says, peace of God will be in your heart in verse 15. This is an individualistic experience. It is a call to find the peace that passes all understanding. But it's more than the yin-yang of Chinese. Just trying to feel good, getting yourself in that everything's okay kind of level of, of experience is inadequate. And yet it is a request for peace that gives us a sense of balance in who we are because we're being dependent on Christ. And dependency is confusing for many. How are you doing in this area? The Scripture, verse 15, says that we're one body in Christ. If we can look at that Scripture, that would be very good for us because it's going to give us exactly this review. One body in Christ. We're not alone. We're not designed to be alone. The health of the whole is something that we own together. So when the church hurts, we hurt. When our brothers and sisters hurt, we hurt. We are to seek unity, but we're to be brave and encouraging and working with others. The Word of Christ dwell in you, verse 16. Dwelling refers to abiding again. The concept in Scripture we find over and over talking about abiding in Christ. It means to set up camp, to live there. The values, goals, ambitions, plans, servanthood, attitudes, and character of Jesus must all guide our daily experience. We need to become tools that God demands. How smart do you think you are? How clever do you think you are? Do you ever come across 
as a bit egotistical to other people? Think about this. Was it ever Christ's intention to have other people say, gee, what a clever fellow. Think about the Christ that we follow. The Word of Christ would dwell in you. Jesus as our model. Christ was never focused on Himself. How about you? Verse 16, teaching and admonishing. Welcoming opportunities to serve. How do you do? Teaching and admonishing means you dare to take on responsibilities. Who in this room is suitable to be a teacher? Which one of us is really perfect in what it is we teach? I know one that certainly is not. That's why I'm so dependent on the Word of God. I believe it has power. I believe it doesn't. But I believe if I'm dependent, God can still use me. And I believe it's the same for you. Verse 16 says, Singing with grace in the hearts to the Lord. There's a humility there. There's a joy there. It's an attitude, not of pride. But it's seeking and and having experience with the grace of God. The next time that you are on a committee or in a group giving an opinion about something, remember, before you criticize someone else, who in the room is a sinner? Could it be you? Could it be me? Verse 17, do it all in Christ's name. Remain close to God. He is your guide. Only Christ, or in all too many circumstances, we are the only Christ people will ever see. And we have to recognize that people are looking at us and watching us. Then in verse 17, it says, be thankful to God. So the description all through here is reminding us unity, abiding in God, being a humble servant, and we will have good relationships with the Father. But then it moves into the more detail of where it's dealing with the family relationships. Paul attempted to answer the question of the Gnostic heresy in many ways because, again, while he was in the prison, he had heard all the problems that the church was having with these people who had come into the church and in a cult-like way had began to lean things a little bit off kilter and off of the day. The fact that the Colossians had begun to struggle with mysticism and with uh, a kind of uh, academic knowledge toward their faith uh, was, was part of the main challenge that he had to deal with because they were ignoring the basic truths of Christianity, showing that their struggle was with the practical world. Interpersonal matters were something that were unusual for many churches to deal with. We need to understand that Paul dared to bring up something on the topic of interpersonal matters very unique because in his day to talk about women and children was almost unheard of. You didn't bother. If you're going to talk about someone important, you talked about the men. Talk about a man's world. That was a man's world. not saying it was a good man's world, but it was a man's world. And so when he dared to bring up this whole picture and talk about the family when he wrote to this church. That was unusual. And yet, he dared to say it because he saw it as valuable. 
Brothers and sisters, whether we want to talk about all the things we need to talk about in here or not is not the question. The question is we need to be willing and open and available to discuss whatever happens to help the kingdom of God and help our church to be effective in reaching others for Christ, in having love and mutual respect of each other, and in in being bold as a witness today. Verse 18 talks specifically about wives. Finally, we get down to the Scripture where it goes into this, and it talks about submission. Woo, submission. Not a very popular word. Um, I don't know uh, how much you pay attention to this kind of thing, probably not as much as myself, but submission and obedience are not the same thing. Submission is a, is a voluntary decision It is a choice that the wife makes to place herself in a different kind of relationship with her husband. Now, that relationship is not one that says she is there just simply as an obedient servant of her husband, but she submits in a way that relates to him. Submission refers not to obedience, but to voluntary decisions. And as we think about voluntary decisions, we have to recognize the responsibility and the conclusion comes out of ourselves. This is a family decision by the wife. It reveals trust and expectation. Trust that the husband will deserve this this level of submission. Going back to my story for a few moments ago, the lady that I was speaking about, she and her daughter had great pressure on them. The fact that the wife and the daughter sought to be a family still did not change the reality of the situation. The wife sought to submit to her husband. She sought very hard to submit to him. But things got out of hand. Things don't always match the book perfectly. Part of the issue of the story was that one, uh, one of the, see, was, was one that impacted the lives of many families. A mixed family of Christian and non-Christian in one circle. You see, after she became serious in her Christian faith, it did not help things in a lot of ways. Because she was growing and maturing, and he was staying right where he was. But submission by this woman was the goal, still to relate to her husband, because she knew her family was important, knew her daughter was important, and was focused on trying to be a a wife that was a a worthy uh, encouragement to her husband. Indeed, our world, just like the church at Colossae, faces many challenges. And Paul dared to be uh, light even when the darkness around him did not know it. He said what was needed, but it was not popular. I would say to you that the lady that was going through all of these experiences in the middle part of America was dealing with issues of uh, great struggle trying to say she wanted to remain submissive to a husband that had begun to get abusive. Verse 19 says, Husbands, love your wives. Think about this. Many of us in here today, we say we love our wives. But even today, I guess we could ask the question, is there enough proof today that you do love your wife that she would turn to you now and say, yes, you do? You know, some of the time we get so busy and so wrapped up in our lives that um, uh, we, we, we assume that they understand we love them, we care for them. Just as we dared last week to mention that Paul felt it was important to remind us 
of marital faithfulness, the dangers of lust, the need of control of our sexual lives outside of marriage, and things like that. Paul helps us to talk about things that are not usually considered everyone's business. To love our wives is, is to emphasize a monogamous relationship of deep commitment and is not to be treated lightly. In the case of my friend, she had reached the point of disregard, or he had reached the point of disregard for the role of his role in the family toward his wife. I don't know how to challenge you enough as husbands, but I do recognize my own limitations. And I don't always do a great job. Sometimes what I say and what I do don't match. For that, I have to ask forgiveness of my wife. When I look at the Scripture and it says love, it did not mention right here, ask for forgiveness each and every time. And yet, That's something we need to also be a little bit more humble on, men. Verse 20, children. Again, Paul kept moving. Talked about the wife. Talked about the the husbands. He said, love. He said, submit. Children, he says, obey. So yeah, there is a point for obey. Obedience is is the call for children. As I remember the eight-year-old daughter I keep trying to understand what it must have been like for her because she had a father that was saying, sit down, sit down, sit down, while he had a gun shooting on the wall in a basement. She was terrified of her father in their basement. Her security was lost that day. Her understanding of what a father was was lost that day. Her whole experience related to fatherhood was almost destroyed. And yet, there's another thing that's a problem for us, and that is within the church we talk about God being our Father. What is her understanding now of a father? Verse 21 says, Fathers, God knows that your children are delicate and He demands we treat them with appreciation and care. I know when I was young, the father, in verse 21, you can see the challenge. Very, very clear. Do not embitter your children. You give them instruction, but how you give them instruction oftentimes is more important than what you give them instruction on. When I was young, uh, or when my children were young, my sons would uh, call me something. And I heard dad, and I heard ba, heard ba a whole lot. That was Micah. Different terms show different relationships. Paul admonished the fathers of the Colossian church to guide their children with optimism. To avoid making them angry. 
the daughter in Kansas City, I doubt as an eight-year-old was fully angry, but I did find that when we talked to her years later, the anger could then be found. You see, it had swelled. Her understanding and definition of father had been warped. How we act, what we say, does impact others. How we function in a family, what we say in a family. Let us learn from Paul's instructions that fathers can be a positive or a negative model. When you reflect on your experience with your father, let it be a challenge for us to do a better job than they. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you're a father or a mother and your children are already grown and you can only wish you had done a better job. But for them, my prayer is that when they have children, they will do a better job than what they had for me. The Scripture goes on, and so Paul again, talking about relationships, he moves into the world talking about servants and masters. Now today we don't have servants and masters so much, but we do need to remember that in the time that the book was written during the Roman Empire, more than 50% of the Roman Empire was made up of slaves. So this discussion about slaves and masters was practical. It applied to who they were. It was very, very functional in their lives because everyone was around. And even if you remember the book of Philemon, the book of Philemon is right toward the end of the, of the New Testament. And as you get toward there, you see Philemon's story. And he is a man with a, a, a slave that had ran off. And that slave came back home. And Paul wrote a letter to him. And he said, Philemon, please be forgiving. Please open your heart to somehow receive this slave back. Well, they were used to dealing with slaves and masters. Those kind of situations. So in here, Paul is writing and he says, Servants, do your job. Do it well. In verse 22 to 25, do it because God is watching. Not because man is watching. Do it unto God. It is God who you serve. So, if you're paid well, good for you. If you're paid poorly, good for you. The question is not your salary. The question is not your conditions. Brothers and sisters, I will say to you today that all too often we allow the circumstances in our lives to control the ethical decisions we make. Today I wrote a short article in this little thing talking about integrity. I had to check and be sure I left it in this one. As Christians, our integrity is everything. What you believe to be accurate and healthy, we have to take it serious. Paul was saying the same thing. He was saying, be the Christian you're supposed to be. Be the hard-working person you should be. Don't worry about whether or not rewards come your way or not. Don't worry about whether or not you feel comfortable or not. Your circumstances and what may occur from something is not nearly as important as whether truth 
is manifest in the life that you live. Our truth and our understanding of I am the way, the truth, and the life. And sometimes I'm sometimes I think it's important. No, no, that's not what Christ said. He didn't say sometimes truth's important. Truth is always important. It is in God that we serve. He challenged the servants who had positions in the church to remember that it is through their walk of faith that others will see God. It is how we do things and with our character that we give a witness to our Lord. A number of years ago, I worked for a man in a job that um, was um, definitely a learning experience. I worked in this particular place for several years in my life, but uh, I discovered gradually he was a very dedicated Christian. But when I first started working for him, I knew he was a Christian, but I was able to kind of mentally divide, is he a dedicated Christian or is he a Sunday Christian? I wasn't sure which. Well, at work, I can still remember he was always pushing us, saying, work, 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 work. And then the second term that I learned very strongly was, hurry, 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 hurry. So work fast and work quickly, because money is involved. And boy, he was always pushing us. And I kept thinking, man, this guy is impossible to please. You know, I've been working here all this time. I'm so tired and he just keeps doing this all the time. One day he pulled me aside. And he said, have you ever thought about becoming a manager? And I looked at him and I thought, what are you talking about? He said, "Um, well, when I say work, 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 you work. When I say hurry, 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 you hurry. And I thought, and if I didn't, what would be the choice? You know, I kind of liked the money coming in and me doing my job. But believe me, when I worked for him, if you had asked me during the time I was at work, was I his worker or his servant, I would have said, servant, hands down. I mean, I worked and he was my boss in every way. And yet, through that relationship, I began to learn a lot because he began to talk to me about his Christian faith. And he shared with me that doing a good job was a responsibility of any Christian. Being honest and truthful were expectations. And he said, you're modeling in front of these other people who are not Christians here has become important. Paul challenges us to never give in and remember that the Father is watching. Masters, chapter 4, verse 1, the message is also a message to our church today. Whether you're employed as a servant or whether you're a boss, this world must be understood as only being temporary. To have a boss is nothing new. And some will be fair and some will not be. But our task is to be a model for others. In this room today, which one of us is dying? 
The answer to that is all of us are dying. We're all moving in that direction. How many of us have not heard a supervisor or boss, uh, maybe uh, that we question, or that you question his competency as he told you to do this or told you to do that? When he said, I think this is what you need to do, and you listened, you thought, no, I think he's wrong. Life is not always fair. It is not always easy. My friends, this wife and the daughter, the wife ended up continuing to follow the Lord, divorced from her husband, Her husband was quite a rich man, so she had a comfortable life after the divorce. The daughter moved away many, many miles away, got a master's degree, working well, got a good job, but carried the bitterness with her for years. The relationships in her life were very difficult and stressful, but the father, and both of their lives was difficult, but the father had his own plan. And he finally was able to see both of them move on in their own walk with Christ. We may not can control all of the circumstances in life or the situations in a church or the relationships with our boyfriend or our girlfriend, our husband and a wife. But we do have to recognize that those relationships are important. Relationships are something that Paul, even sitting in a prison, realized were important enough that he should write it down and encourage a church. Brothers and sisters, I struggled with what Paul wrote on here. There's some encouragement in his words. There's some direction and instruction in his words. But I don't find all the magic answers. I can't just push a button and say, when you fight with your husband or your wife or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your children or your father or your mother, just push this button and the magic answer will come out. It's complex. Relationships are confusing. They're so confusing that Paul took time to mention it in the middle of a letter to a church. Today I come here saying that in our church we have an overabundance of relationships in this room. Some are good, some are bad, some are healthy, some are not. I would ask for you with me at this time just to take a moment and pray for our church, for the decisions we have to make, and that we will allow truth and allow the justice of God to guide our decisions, that we will allow the love of God to guide our decisions, that we will seek dependency in all that we are. Let us pray. Father God, we come today to praise You. We thank You for the reminder that relationships are important. We thank You that Paul thought it so important that he would write to that church 
and talk to them about relationships. Father, we would ask that we would allow this Scripture to minister to us. We would ask that we would recognize that we have relationship challenges as well. And Father, we do ask that You would help us to recognize that dependency on You is what will get us through the relationship challenges that we find in this world. Father, we truly ask that You would teach us more about how to love You, how to appreciate You, and to be Your servants with our lives. And Father, help us to learn to love that one that's sitting on our left, the one that's sitting on our right, the one that's sitting behind us, the ones that we may have argued with yesterday. Father, we would ask that You would help us to be Your church in a loving way because we want to be blessed for our faithfulness. In Jesus' name, Amen.